Jesus' character and teachings were considered highly countercultural. He often said and did the unexpected, and in some of his deviation from the norm, either caused people to feel threatened or convicted. Today on Bloom, we'll discuss how Jesus gave himself in order to save us and how his example challenges the church today. I'm your host, Jen Robinson, for February 5th, 2021. Welcome to Bloom. This is a podcast designed to inspire, encourage, and grow women in their relationships with each other and the Lord. I've been thinking a lot lately about how Jesus was so radically different from any other teacher, leader, and king during his time on earth and even now. I believe what made Jesus and his ministry distinctly unique was because he boldly pushed the envelope. Right, and he wasn't afraid to challenge the common cultural and societal norms. His messages were completely counterthought to what people were taught, as well as what they believed about the coming Messiah and the kingdom of God. He went against the grain of people's expectations of who the Christ was supposed to be and what he was supposed to do for them. And he would challenge them to think outside their cultural box to become more kingdom-minded. So I'm excited to dive into a four-part series on how Jesus was countercultural and what his message means for the church today. Because I think once we realize just how countercultural Jesus was, it challenges us also to step outside of the boxes we've placed Christianity in and even placed God in. So how was Jesus countercultural? I want to start off today by talking a little bit about kingship. Now, when you think of a king, what comes to mind? You probably picture a crown, a throne, a palace, perhaps. These are all true descriptions and possessions of a king. And another one of the distinctions we have for kings, one of the defining markers of someone with such royalty is wealth. Kings were always thought to be wealthy. So I thought it would be kind of good to take a look at some of the biblical kings just to see what did the wealth look like for a king in biblical times. So I'm going to read a little bit in 2 Chronicles, and I'm going to go to chapter 9. And we're going to read about one such wealthy king by the name of Solomon. So I'm going to read 2 Chronicles chapter 9, and I'm going to begin in verse 13. And I like how this... This section of scripture is even titled Solomon's Splendor. And it says in verse 13, The weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents, not including the revenues brought in by merchants and traders. Also, all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the land brought gold and silver to Solomon. King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 beccas of hammered gold went into each each shield. He also made 300 small shields of hammered gold with 300 beccas of gold in each shield. The king put them in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. Then the king made a great throne inlaid with ivory and overlaid with pure gold. The throne had six steps and a footstool of gold was attached to it. 
On both sides of the seat were armrests with a lion standing beside each of them. Twelve lions stood on the six steps, one at either end of each step. Nothing like it had ever been made for any other kingdom. All King Solomon's goblets were gold, and all the household articles in the palace of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Now, this is a huge list of things, right? I mean, just to give you a little bit of an idea of the value of Solomon's wealth, it said that he had 666 talents of gold that he received each year. And that alone would be worth over $1 billion today. And that's not to mention his throne made of ivory and gold with a footstool covered in pure gold. His drinking cups were gold. Are you catching the theme? (laughs) He was a very wealthy king. And Solomon's father, King David, before him was a very wealthy king also. Because kings were expected to be wealthy. Wealth was a sign of status and power. Which... I think were two cultural necessities for a king. So now fast forwarding to the book of Matthew, we meet a baby born in a manger in the town of Bethlehem. Scripture said when Jesus was born, the Magi, the wise men, traveled to worship him. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, they asked King Herod, where is this one who has been born king of the Jews. Now, they're already recognizing that a king has been born, and this is not an ordinary king. And they want to go see him because they want to worship him. And as it seems fitting for a king, the magi, when they arrive to Jesus in his manger, in a stable barn with stable animals, they present what the Bible says, they're treasures to Jesus. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I want you to hold on to the word treasure because we're going to come back to that later. So we're going to kind of skip through the manger scene. I'm not going to reiterate the whole Christmas story here. Um, But like all babies, Jesus grows up. But instead of increasing in his wealth and accumulating riches like most kings do, He grew up as a humble carpenter's son in the town of Nazareth. But there is something else different about this king. As Jesus walks the dusty streets of Jerusalem and begins his ministry, he teaches as one who knows the law very well, but also speaks with these new teachings and stories called parables that contradict not only what has been embedded into biblical culture, but still continues to stain the church and our society today. So the Magi proclaim that Jesus is the king of the Jews. But where is his crown and his throne? Where is all the plunder and spoils from his victorious battles? How can such a simple-looking man, a carpenter's son, be considered a king? So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 19, And we're going to read about a conversation that Jesus has with a rich man. So this man's not a king, but he just happens to be a very wealthy man who wants to follow Jesus. 
And we're going to see what Jesus requires of someone who wants to follow him. So if you have your Bibles, just turn with me to Matthew. We're going to begin in chapter 19 and start in verse 16. And it says, Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? And so, so far we're reading this and we're thinking, sounds pretty reasonable, right? Okay, so I just can't murder and I need to honor my mother and father. These are all pretty familiar teachings in scripture because we know these. These are, he's laying out the Ten Commandments here, basically, So these are all things of the law. But next comes the kicker. Next comes the part that is counter-cultural. And we're going to read here in verse 21. Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God All things are possible. So when we read this, we wonder, first of all, why was the rich man so distraught? Well, it's pretty simple. Because he had a lot to lose. If we were talking to a person that had little, a beggar, this would not seem like such a major sacrifice. But this man was very well off and would have to give up a great deal in order to follow Christ. Now, so we do have to address the obvious question for those of you that read the Bible very literally. Is Jesus saying I have to sell all I own before I can follow him? Well, I think we can conclude that if this were the case, we'd all be in a heap of trouble. (laughs) But what I believe Jesus was doing here with this particular man was gauging his heart. What held the affections of this man's heart? Jesus wanted to know, would he be willing to give up what he had in order to follow him? One of my favorite quotes is by Jim Elliott. He was a missionary in Ecuador who risked and eventually lost his life for the sake of the gospel. His words of wisdom would have been very timely in this situation. He once said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus doesn't want you to give away all your things. He wants you to give him your whole heart. 
I mentioned we were going to talk about treasures. So let's continue, and we're going to keep reading in Matthew, and see Jesus explain the distinction between earthly treasures and the treasures of the kingdom. So we're going to pick up here in verse 27. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Jesus acknowledges his kingship when he said, At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne. You see, Jesus was not just a king. He is the king of kings. And countercultural to earthly kings who acquire and accumulate wealth and riches, King Jesus instead made costly sacrifices. He sacrificed a perfect home with streets of gold for the dusty streets of the earth. He sacrificed his heavenly crown for a crown of thorns. And he left his glorious throne to be nailed to an old splintered cross. The ironic thing about it is that Jesus' ranking amongst the wealthiest kings is unmatched. He is the most wealthy king that has ever lived and will ever be. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth belongs to God. Everything in all the world is his. But Jesus gave it up to save you and me. Jesus may not be saying, sell all your possessions, but I think he is challenging us today, asking, where's your treasure, church? What are you willing to give up for the sake of the kingdom? Jesus gave it all. What are you willing to give up? I can't help but think of Abraham when I think about sacrifices. When Abraham finally received his long-awaited promise of a son, God asked him to give him up, to relinquish whom he dearly treasured, the one thing that mattered most in the world to him. And as Abraham was preparing to do the most painstaking sacrificial offering he could give, God said, Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear me because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham's choice to listen to God was a matter of obedience to the Lord, without question. But it was also a matter of the heart. Abraham said, I am willing to give up what means so much to me because I choose to follow God and nothing will come before my king. Now, one of my favorite passages in all of scripture is also found in the book of Matthew. But it is Matthew chapter 6, and it begins in verse 19, and it's verses 19 through 20. 
It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. But then catch this part in verse 21. It says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Ladies, I want you to grasp that the treasure is Christ. It's a treasure that we cannot lose. Store treasures in heaven. It's the very reason Jesus came, was to save the lost and bring us into an eternal kingdom. To give us the treasure of salvation, a treasure that we cannot lose. Jesus wasn't an ordinary king. He didn't come to gain all the power and the prestige of the world. Instead, he gave up everything. He gave his life so we can have a living hope of eternal salvation in an eternal kingdom. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. One of my um, favorites, I feel like I'm talking about a lot of favorites today, but one of my favorite groups um, that I like to listen to when I'm worshiping is Maverick City. And my, one of my favorite songs of theirs is called Have My Heart. And I just wanted to read to you just the couple verses and um, just want you to catch what, um, what the songwriter is saying and make it your prayer today. Beginning says, my heart is yours completely. My heart is yours totally. You love with no reservations. You're not looking for perfection. And there's no need in me pretending. I'll give you everything. I'll give you everything. You deserve my full attention. Nothing less than my devotion. Speak to me and I will listen. I give you everything. I give you everything. And then the chorus just repeats over and over again, you can have my heart. You can have my heart. And I love the, the bridge of the song. It says, if you want my heart, you got it. You got it. And it just says it over and over again. You want my heart, you've got it. You've got it. Can you honestly say that to the Lord right now? Can you tell him? You have my heart. If you want it, you got it. It's yours, God. I want you to ask yourself two questions. Here's the church challenge in all this. Is there anything in my heart that is competing with God? In other words, is your affection for something or someone else greater than your love for God? And then I want you to ask yourself, if Jesus asked me to give it up in order to follow him, would I be willing to do it? In comparison to Christ, God doesn't demand much from us. 
but he may ask us to give up a relationship that is suffocating our spiritual growth. Or maybe God is saying to you that you don't need a $5 coffee every day when there are children in other parts of the world that don't have access to clean water or know when they're getting their next meal. Maybe you place too much of a priority on what kind of car you drive or house you live in, even if it straps you financially because you want the finer things in life. What is God calling you to give up? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I ask again, where's your treasure, church? Does God have your heart? Jesus gave it all. What are you willing to give for the sake of the kingdom? Jesus was so countercultural, not your typical king. And his mission was also countercultural. As we discussed today, kings often accumulate wealth and possession. But Jesus gave it up. He gave up his heavenly throne to meet us where we are. Not so that we could all bow down and worship him with all the praise he so deserved. But instead, he came to serve. Next time on Bloom, we'll discuss how the countercultural Christ led with a servant's heart and challenges his church to do the same. Thanks for joining me today. Keep growing, and God bless.